Uh, We're going to pray before we open God's word and ask for God's help. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we come to a very familiar portion of the Bible, we pray that you would speak to us and help us and guide us as we open it up. Uh, We do pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us and help us and point us to Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm sure you can agree with me that our world is facing many threats. A huge explosion in Beirut, um, hurricanes and typhoons, uh, floods that we don't even hear about, uh, people being murdered for their faith in Ethiopia and in Nigeria, and we all know the effects of COVID-19. Yet, there is a much greater threat hanging over each one of us. Not just here in Northern Ireland or in Warhamstown or Donaghclony, but the whole world. It is the coming just judgment of Almighty God. That's the issue here in our Old Testament reading, which points actually to the New Testament. Egypt was just ours away as we read here in Exodus 12, of coming under God's judgment, not just the Egyptians, but Israel as well. By chapter 12, Egypt has repeatedly rebelled against the Lord's Lord's messenger, Moses, and against God himself. They've enslaved, they've mistreated the people of God. Pharaoh's refused to obey the Lord and to allow Moses to bring God's people out of Egypt to worship God And even after a series of plagues which show us that the Egyptian gods have no power at all, still Pharaoh hardens his heart against the Lord. So now God has one final act of judgment, which again, if you've got a Bible, we really encourage you to get a Bible open. Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh in Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. So Moses announces this to Pharaoh. So this is, first of all, a day of retribution. It was to come through the most terrifying of plagues. Look at verses 4 and 6 of verse 11. Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go through out to Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her, her handmill. And all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt. Worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. Can you imagine that? For me, I'm the youngest of our family. But my brother, my eldest son, it would affect him. It would be absolutely devastating for my family to have them die on the same day. Every household in Egypt would be affected. Israeli, Israelite, Egyptian, cattle, all the rest of it. There would be loud wailing, no wonder, throughout the land. It was a threat greater than anything else that they'd faced. So the Egyptian security services would have put Egypt on red alert. But it wouldn't have done any good against the judgment of God. No one was safe from the most important man in the world to the least, from the pharaoh right down to the servant girl. 
It's a picture of the final judgment when no one will be able to escape the justice of Almighty God. And as we see the misery this plague calls us here, it tells us that sin is serious and that the judgment of God is a just and terrible reality. If only we believe that it would affect us. One agnostic said, I haven't yet met a Christian who really believes in eternal punishment for unbelievers. Because if they did, that would affect every aspect of their life. I once met a, a, an evangelist in tears because he hadn't led anyone to Christ in the last month. If it bothered him that people were facing God's judgment without Christ, a fate worse than death. If it bothered the evangelist, if it bothered the agnostic, does it bother us? For it will happen as the Lord says. It's not scaremongering. It happened in Exodus, just as the Lord said. Verses 29 to 30. It says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of the officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud will in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Every household was affected, even that of Pharaoh. Historically, it should have been Ramesses II who followed Pharaoh. But it was Menepta who succeeded him on the throne. Why? Because his firstborn died on the night the Lord passed through Egypt. Every household there was somebody dead. And this was true of every Israelite household as well. But although it was a day of retribution, it was also a day of rescue. So important was this day of rescue that it would change the calendar for every Israelite. Look at verses 1 and 2, chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. In verse 6, we see the chosen lamb was to live among the family for four days. When it would become a part of the family, the children would play with it, get attached to it, and then the family were to slaughter it at twilight. It seems so cruel. And yet in verse 7, we're told they would take some of the blood of the slaughtered lamb, put it on the doorposts, and the lintel of the houses in which they ate it. Slaughtering the lamb and putting the blood on the door frames would make all the difference in the world. Verse 12, on that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The only hope is in the blood of the lamb. Because when God says the blood will be a sign for you in your houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So to be clear, who would God pass over? Would it be those who are especially religious or sincere or moral? No. The Lord would pass over every household where he could see the lamb's blood. He'd pass over and on account of the blood of an innocent lamb, any household who followed the Lord's command, they 
would be rescued. Thousands didn't. And it was a horrific night. Verse 29, a great cry was heard, for there was not a house in Egypt without someone dead. And that was also true of the people of Israel. But in every Israelite home, there's a dead lamb, not a dead son. The lamb dies as a substitute in the place of the firstborn son. And years later, Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. This is the link the New Testament makes with Exodus 12. Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. His death is the rescue, which would change our calendar. Although people are trying to change it again, but it's what changes our calendar from B.C. before Christ and A.D. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who died in our place to take the judgment of God which we deserve for our sin. He takes it upon himself so that we can be saved. This Lamb of God who lived among us, the perfect Lamb of God who was tempted in every way yet was without sin. The Lamb of God whose blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. And this is meant to take us back to Egypt to that first Passover when the blood of lamb was smeared in the Israelites' homes to the morning when there was crying all over Egypt and when the Israelites checked the beds of their firstborn sons wondering what they would find. What a relief to find them alive. Then going down for breakfast they'd see the carcass of the lamb and they'd know that it was the death of the lamb that had saved their firstborn. Death had happened in every household. Sin had been punished. But in their household, it was the lamb who took the punishment. The death of the lamb rescues us from the judgment of God. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let me ask you, are you absolutely sure that you're sheltering under Christ's death? God's judgment will come. It's a far greater concern than COVID-19. But God has made provision for us. And there's only one way that we can be saved. It's not by being moral. It's not by going to church, if we could. It's not by giving to charity. It's not to do all of those. No, 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 no. All those things are good, but they don't save us. There's, no, there's one way to escape the judgment of God, and that is to shelter under the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, to trust in his life, death, resurrection, ascension, to trust that his blood will mean the Lord will pass over us on Judgment Day. And if you have trusted Christ, how can you be sure that trusting in Christ will be enough to rescue you from the judgment to come? Well, here's how you can be sure it is the death and blood of this lamb that brought salvation from the plague of death of the firstborn son. They can be sure that the death and blood of the lamb of God, the son of God, Jesus Christ, will save you at the judgment. But some of you might be saying, I've trusted Christ, but I'm still lacking full assurance that I'll be rescued on the judgment day. Well, let's go back to that first Passover. Let's go back to Goshen. Imagine two Israelite dads and they're talking as they prepare to turn in for the night of Passover. 
Are you? Oh, I'm really worried about this plague coming. I love my boy. I can't bear the thought of my son being taken. It would break my heart. It would break his mother's heart. So have you done what Moses told you to do? Yes, I've put the blood of the lamb on the, on the door frame and a, a lamb up without blemish. We slaughtered it, we roasted, we ate it together. But I'm not sure what difference that'll make. Well, look, Moses said that the blood on the doorpost is a guarantee that the Lord will pass over. That the lamb's death and blood would act as a substitute averting God's judgment. I'm going to rest easy in my bed because I'm trusting in the death of the lamb. Oh, I wish I had your faith. I'm not just as confident as you are. Let me ask you. The next morning, whose firstborn son was saved? The answer, both of them. See, both of them had obeyed the Lord's command. They both put their household under the blood of the Lamb. It wasn't dependent on how much they believed and trusted the Lord, but that they had believed and trusted. It wasn't dependent on how much faith they had, but in the fact that they placed their faith in the death of the Lamb. Do you feel you have a weak faith? Not as strong as others? Well, your salvation is not dependent on the strength of your faith, but on the fact that you're relying on Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension alone to deal with your sin. You're trusting in Christ. If so, he will pass over you on that judgment day. There's room in heaven for all genuine believers, weak, strong, and everywhere in between. So we've seen it's a day of retribution. It's a day to remember, and finally it's a day to remember. So momentous was this day that it was to be remembered and the effect the life of Israel forever. Verses 14 and 15 of chapter 12. This is a day you're to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival of the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you're to eat the bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day until the seventh will be, must be cut off from Israel. They were now to live for God's glory out of a thankfulness for all the Lord had done for them. This Passover was to be remembered with a celebration. Can you imagine how powerful that would have been for those rescued? With all the Lord's rescue, their firstborn would have been dead under God's judgment. But they'd be so grateful. And that's exactly how real Christians should feel about their rescue. Celebrating by willing to do anything for Jesus out of thankfulness for all that he's done for us. The Israelites were to remember the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. For at the Exodus, they couldn't afford to wait for the bread to rise, verse 11. The Passover was the, you could call it the fast food festival. Eat and go. Once they'd been rescued, they had to get out of Egypt quickly, out of the world that was enslaving them. What about us? Well, in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6 and 8, we pick up there how the New Testament speaks about the fe festival and the feast of the unleavened bread. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and the Austin, he says, your boasting is not good. 
Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump without yeast, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Well, saying Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. We should be grateful. We should be grateful. Getting rid of malice and wickedness and living lives of sincerity and truth. The Israelites had to literally get rid of the old yeast or leaven. For us, it means checking our lives to see if there's anything that hinders us in the Christian life. That's how we remember with thankfulness our rescue for the, from the coming judgment. Yet it shouldn't just be a personal response. It should be that, but not just a personal response, but a corporate response as a church. See, the problem was in 1 Corinthians 5 that the Corinthian church were tolerating somebody sleeping with a stepmother. It was a sexual sin. They even boasted about it. Paul says, get rid. Put this man out of fellowship so that he may repent and come back. Get rid of the old yeast, for a little yeast works through the whole batch. Out of thankfulness for the Lord's rescue of us from the coming judgment and to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, deal with the sinfulness among us. Even in our own parish, there'll be things bubbling underneath the surface. Gossip that's unhelpful and untrue. Relationships and behavior that aren't right got to be dealt with out of thankfulness for all the Lord has done because a little yeast works through the whole batch we must get rid of anything that makes us be worldly because this yeast will work through the whole batch that's how we're to celebrate the Passover that's how we're to appropriate what's going on here in Exodus 12. That's how we live out the Feast of the Eleven Bread. And that's what gives glory to God, who gave his life for us. So let's flee the world, live in the world for the Lord of salt and light, in remembrance that if we're trusting in Jesus, we've been rescued from the day of retribution. This morning, as we close, I want to do the collect for Advent. A very appropriate collect to pray as we're thinking of God's judgment, but also that we may turn from our sin and cast away the works of darkness. Let's pray this morning. Almighty God, give us grace that we may cast away the works of darkness and put upon us the armor of light now in the time of this mortal life in which thy Son, Jesus Christ, came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the quick and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who liveth and reigneth with thee in the Holy Spirit now and evermore.